Thursday Finance with Barry Preston joining me, Jane Klein. We will hear from Henry Jennings and that will be for our market snapshot. We'll also be talking to Bianca Moore from ShareGift Australia and that's looking at what you do with those small holdings. And Barry Preston, commodities, what's happening at the moment? We've been (laughs) bewailing looking at (laughs) petrol prices but uh, there are other things to think about with commodities. Oh, pardon me, I do apologise. Yes, there are. Look, uh, the commodities have been reasonably quiet. They've been edging down, but uh, this week gold is up $6.90 Australian to $1,335 per ounce Australian. Silver, $17.95. That's ahead a huge, would you believe, 15 cents. Copper, uh, down $31.63 a ton to $7,780. Nickel, down $67 a ton to 17691 And tin reversed everything. It went up $390 a ton to 23257 in the currency area. The Australian dollars firmed against a few. The only one that it didn't is the New Zealand one. Uh, uh, it's, uh, we're a little bit weaker there. But looking at it, 87.18 US cents to the Australian dollar. Uh, I'm sorry, US cents to the Australian dollar. And if you wanted to buy one, it would cost you about 114.7 Australian cents to get one American dollar. British pence, 55.27 to the Australian dollar. That's going to cost you nearly $2, 181 Australian uh, cents to get a British pound. How's that? Mm. <laughs> if you're heading off there. Chinese, the yuan renminbi is... very little change there. New Zealand, we would get approximately 110.6 New Zealand cents to our Australian dollar. In other words, it cost you about 90 cents Australian for a New Zealand dollar. The euro, heading over to euro, it's going to cost you approximately 143 Australian cents and you're going to get about 70 Point one euro cents for your Australian dollar. Canada, very. We've always been on a pretty much a par with Canada. Uh, Australian dollar is worth. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. You'd have to pay a dollar and one Australian to buy a Canadian dollar, or you'd only get ninety eight point six. And if you were heading to Russia, if you were going back with uh, President um, Putin, Putin, you would have to pay. Would you believe? Point oh two four nine Australian cents to get one ruble. In other words, Australian dollar would get you approximately 40. You might be able to, <coughs> pardon me, get a free ride back on one of those warships that are still a long way away from the coast. I don't know what all the kerfuffle is. Goodness gracious. But it makes front page news, I suppose. <coughs> now, have a look at the markets. The Australian uh, market, uh, 5,442. That's down 49 points over the week. The USA Dow up 127 to 17,612. The NASDAQ ahead, 54 points to 4,675. The UK FTSE, 6,611. That's up 72 points. And the Nikkei, the Japanese market, 259 points ahead to 17,197. The Hong Kong market, the Hang Seng, 242 points ahead to 23,938. And oil, West Texas Intermediate, the US oil has jumped $1.41 Australian to, <coughs> pardon me, 89.75. And the Australian Tapas is worth 96.54 Australian a barrel, that's down 33 cents. Interesting. The Central Coast. Um, a dollar forty-eight a, a litre last week. It was a dollar forty-eight point two unleaded. <coughs> Pardon me. Your idea. 
funny, funny old threat. And Newcastle, 143.3, if you can find it at that price. Sydney, 136.4. Now, while we're talking about unleaded, it's... Wollongong and Sydney are the only places that's on the NRMA uh, watch that are under a dollar forty. Wollongong's one hundred and thirty-seven, and the poor old people at Tumut, one hundred and sixty-two point five. Now, that's nearly thirty cents difference to uh, per, per litre, and that certainly can't be transport. Orange and Grafton haven't moved that much; around about one hundred and forty-six point six. Diesel hasn't moved that much. It's still about 150.5 for the Central Coast and 150.5 for Newcastle. Sydney's uh, approximately 147. So it sounds like more down. of a Ferris wheel than a merry-go-round, doesn't it? Uh, this petrol yeah, up and price down and cycle so forth, yeah. and but, different places. But we can see now that uh, they can't blame transport for the major move in the prices. It is certainly a marketing exercise from what we've seen by looking at it on a weekly basis. Thursday Finance at 24 past 12 for our of Pritchard and Partners and Barry Preston, time for our market snapshot. And of course, any companies that we mention on our program are for general discussion. You must always get your own product disclosure statement and do your own research. Companies that we companies also that we discuss may be traded with BBY Limited or Pritchard and Partners. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, my printer's cut the numbers off again. Oh, that's all right. Henry, that's... how are you? I'm good, thanks, Barry. How are you? Oh, I'm having a bit of trouble with uh, technology at the moment. And mentioning technology, the Chief of mm. General Electric, or GE Australia, says the jobs growth could be near zero due to technology. That's an outstanding statement. Well, it is. Uh, <coughs> I mean, we've certainly seen uh, not a huge amount of jobs growth. In actual fact, we're going backwards at the moment, uh, pretty much uh, in Australia. And Tony Abbott's... Uh, call for um, the promise that he would deliver a million new jobs over the next five years doesn't look uh, particularly um, particularly promising. So I guess, I mean, we all know that technology is affecting every part of our lives. Um, it is disrupting every uh, every sort of established major business. So it is uh, inevitable um, that we see less jobs out of it. There was a promise years ago that uh, technology would allow us to be free and have more leisure time. But of course, leisure is only good if you've got money to uh, enjoy it in. Well, it's Prince more. <laughs> Like everyone else. Yeah, we could else. do that. We could do that. Minority shareholders are angry over Yan Coles. Apparently some management buyout or something, and, uh, or a debt-to-equity swap. What's this one all about? Well, the, uh, the Yan Coles is a, is a Chinese-controlled coal company, um, and they're looking to, uh, they've announced they're looking to do a, a $2.5 billion debt-for-equity swap. Um, the, uh, the company owes a lot of money, um, and the Chinese basically are trying to, uh, I guess, steal it oh, back from the shareholders by, by stealth um, and they've got some subordinated capital notes um, and minority shareholders are all up in arms about uh, about it because they suspect that they're having the company's being privatised without um, them getting much uh, much benefit for it so um, yeah I think uh, I think Yan Cole uh, Yan Zhu which is the Chinese company owns 78% and Noble which is a big commodities trader owns 13% not much left. <laughs> Not much left. It doesn't trade very often, I think it's fair to say. Now, there's a sweet spot for Morgan Stanley, apparently, as they look to buy up long-term good income-producing infrastructure assets. And, of course, the Aussie state governments are very keen to sell at this point. They are. I mean, that's that's what uh, we, we've been told, that uh, you know this is the infrastructure government, but uh, state governments are being encouraged by the government to uh, sell off uh, state assets. Um, and uh, as a result, uh, Morgan Stanley um, 
believe that they um, they should be able to be in a good spot to be to be buying these. I mean, if you remember rightly, it wasn't uh, long ago that Macquarie Bank was the uh, the big buyer of these sorts of assets. Things like Sydney Airport spring to mind, where everyone thought they were mad paying the uh, the money they did. But of course, there's only one Sydney Airport, and some of these <laughs> infrastructure assets are unique. And I'm sure that uh, that Morgan Stanley and other investors would be very happy to get their hands on uh, on good income producing, high yielding, secure, stable, uh, unique infrastructure assets. That nobody can buy into because they're too expensive to buy into anyway or develop yourself. Now, well, that's right. <clears throat> another challenge: anyone getting insurance brokers to arrange their home insurance, and uh, apparently those brokers may be using over- overseas insurance companies. Now, this could pose a bit of an illegal problem, could it not, or what? Well, I, I think, I mean, uh, we, we live in a global society these days, and, you know, I, I spend a bit of time at the gym at lunchtimes, there seems to be an, a huge amount of advertising going on for uh, for a company called Real Insurance, which uh, does life, car, travel, funeral, you name it, um, that's an overseas one. Um, you know, these guys are going to come here because, um, you know, the pickings are quite good, I guess. that We have a, a relatively uh, sound economy, so um, these insurance companies from overseas will come here. I don't think it's a major problem, really. They're, they're big institutions in their own right, and we do live in a global society. We do. Now, some, somebody's suggesting that small Aussie banks merge so as to package loans to help them fund themselves. Now, isn't this what they call those, uh, what were those things uh, that caused the GFC? Um, dodgy bank loans. <laughs> um, the, the, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the poor old small banks tend to be locked out um, of um, by the big boys in terms of how they can fund their loans. And as a result, they, they, they do struggle to compete with the, uh, with, with the big guys in terms of the mortgages and the rates they can provide. So um, there, there is talk about them getting together so they can, they can sort of better fund um, their, um, their loans and mortgages. But, um, yeah, we'll wait and see. I mean, they're still pressuring the government. And, of course, we've still got the Murray inquiry into the whole financial services system to, uh, to come out as well. So that there could be some biggish changes in the banking sector, and this might just be one of them. As the big banks, the sne- as, uh, as it said in the report that I read, I think it was the Financial mm. Review, the sneaky big banks are reducing term deposit rates, I believe, over the last three months, uh, or for th- over the last three months, and for terms of three uh, months ahead, they've mm. reduced their uh, rates that they pay client or customers 20 basic points. That hasn't well, been they- advertised? No, it's a bit sneaky, isn't it? But let's face it, they're banks, and that's what they do best. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, the, the, the banks had a massive price war going on with each other to try and get as much deposit dollars as humanly possible after the GFC, because a lot of their funding was coming from overseas, which got quite hard to access. Um, these days, with interest rates around the world being at historic lows, in fact, in some places like Europe, they're in negative territory, banks have found it quite easy to, uh, to access cheap funding from overseas so as a result they haven't had to compete quite so heavily in deposits um, and we're seeing this certainly with uh, deposit rates uh, coming down mortgage rates coming down of course that, that affects their margins so they do want to, uh, to keep deposit rates under control um, and, and pressure on them so their margins uh, hold, hold up. I'll be very, very happy when this Medibank thing's finished because we're finding well, a lot of blue balls over our lounge room. I don't know where they're coming from, but mums and dads have got to get their applications in very, very quickly. It closes on the 14th of November, and I would like to add two words to it. Good luck. 
Well, I'm more worried about your blue balls, Barry, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yes, good luck is, is the word. Um, it's it's going to be very, very highly sought after. It's... Um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of uh, a lot of effort has gone into uh, to getting this one away. Um, I have to say I'm I'm a little sceptical and I'm happy to be proved wrong, but they, they are going to price it very much at the top end of the range, if not the highest they possibly can. Allocations will be scaled back uh, seriously, I would imagine, and it will be very hard for the mums and dads to get anything like a decent parcel to make either any decent money on or to, to build a core holding going forward. So um, I think. It's it's, um, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. And very, very quickly, the G20, which I believe is happening in uh, Brisbane as we speak, mm. will the global tax evasion discussions come up and do you think anything will come out of it? Of course they'll come up and no, nothing <laughs> will come out of it. Um, they, they will come up and there is an inquiry at the moment into, uh, into this going on in the, in the EU because former uh, Prime Minister uh, Jean-Claude Juncker uh, was actually the Prime Minister of Luxembourg during the great boom of this, and now he's uh, head of the European Commission. <laughs> so but there, well, so there's, a, there's a nice little conundrum of ethics and morals for you, but, uh, but certainly this, this is something that should come up. The, uh, the, uh, the net assets of Luxembourg now are, are massive. I think they're only dwarfed by the US um, in terms of, uh, and there's 350 you know, major multinationals now sort of uh, using Luxembourg as some sort of uh, tax haven and dodge. Mm. Um, it mm. is not right. And that would what you would probably call coming back to bite you on the posterior. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners, and Barry Preston, a market snapshot currently. And we're overseas. Now, it seems that the Indian Prime Minister may face some challenges getting through, here we go, red tape to turn into turn India into a global manufacturing hub. I think the catch cry over there at the moment is make in India. But isn't it yes. interesting? They've got red tape over there too. They have, and they've uh, they've certainly probably got more than most as well. Uh, India is renowned for its uh, bureaucratic quagmire, I guess. Uh, they learnt very well off the uh, their colonial masters uh, back in the last century, um, and uh, that hasn't really changed. And they have got a billion and a bit people there. It's the world's largest democracy, but the new man is definitely pushing ahead and hoping that India will take over as uh, some sort of world growth engine, much like China has done. And he's hoping that India can surpass China, but he does have a few little um, a few little <laughs> problems in his way first. Red tape, isn't it funny? It's Red every day. Memo, yep. you, one of your memos, I think you said that you uh, had somebody on Sky News with you. Was that Dr. Doom predicting China's growth down to 5.5? It wasn't actually Dr. Doom. It was uh, another gentleman who runs a hedge fund in the U.S., quite an interesting man. Uh, all his uh, people that he employs in the hedge fund are ex, uh, F-16 pilots, uh, as he himself is. So um, He's been around for 50 years. I sat with him yesterday on TV, and we were talking about uh, where the U.S. market goes, and he was very, very, very bearish. He said that he hadn't seen these sorts of bearish signals ever in the U.S. in his entire career, the worst he'd ever seen, um, and he suspected that there was going to be something dramatic happening in the next one or two weeks even. Mm. So um, that was somewhat worrying. It He's was. been brought over by, uh, by a, a big uh, a CFD provider to, uh, to give some guest lectures. So He's obviously a bit of a big wig. I'm not a great believer in the wiggles and squiggles, as I call them. Um, I think they have their place, but I'm not sure he's right in this case. I don't think he is, but then again, these people that do that sort of thing talk
talk themselves into it. Ali Barber, and first of all, who are they, had some stunning sales figures, and what were they selling? Um, well, everything, basically. Um, Ali Barber is like uh, uh, sort of an eBay on steroids, I guess. It is uh, as a portal for China to sell to the world. So if you wanted to, uh, to, uh, to import a new product into Australia, one of the first places you would start with would be Ali Barber, and you could uh, contact many, many, many manufacturers who are selling things on Ali Barber to the world and to uh, people that want to import. It's a massive business. Jack Ma has become the, uh, the wealthiest man in China on the back of this extraordinary, uh, extraordinary business. And they had what they called a Singles Day, which is on the 11th, uh, I think it's the 11th of the 11th in China, where they, uh, they celebrate uh, being single, I guess. Oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> some of us do that every day, some of us don't. Um, <laughs> But uh, that was uh, massive. I think $9 billion worth of uh, business was transacted in the first morning alone. So it, it, was, it was pretty huge, and it's a massive, massive business. But it is basically China's portal into the world. Talking about China, and this is from one of your uh, newsletters that comes out, seems China is taking on Boeing and Airbus by producing or making their own aircraft. Now, is there any uh, scenario, or can we compare these to the tools we buy at Bunnings, the garden tools? Well, I hope not, because most of the tools I buy at Bunnings, they look cheap and they look fantastic, but as soon as you get them home and you start digging away at something or bashing away at something, they fall apart in your hand because that's what they are, cheap and rubbish. Um, but the Chinese are moving in towards passenger jet manufacture, um, which will no doubt really please Boeing and Airbus, who up till now have pretty much had the, uh, the whole game sewn up. So um, we will see how that pans out, but they did unveil uh, a new passenger jet in, uh, in China uh, last week, I think it was. So, um, yeah, interesting moves, but uh, certainly China flexing its muscles as usual. Interesting. Your um, <clears throat> report again. In America, it appears that uh, equality is, well, not necessary equality because the top 1% are worth more than the bottom 90%. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Is, is Robin we've... Hood around anywhere still or not? Well, I, don't, I don't think we've, we've seen this apparently uh, in the U.S., uh, since uh, the 1920s, mm. uh, and we all know what uh, how that ended. So um, it's um, yeah, it is extraordinary that, that the wealth is being more and more concentrated into fewer and fewer hands, and that not just goes for America, but also uh, around the globe. Um, the rich are getting very much richer, uh, and the poor are struggling under uh, a mountain of debts, uh, whether they be student loans, car loans. Uh, mortgages, etc., but they are they are struggling, and of course, part-time jobs have been growing dramatically, whereas full-time jobs and secure, paid uh, employment has uh, has fallen away. So it's not, it's not been a good time. Mm, interesting times ahead, Henry. Mm. Keep safe. We'll see you next week. And this is Thursday Finance. Thanks to our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And um, Barry Preston, we have a special guest. We certainly do. Bianca Moore, who has a, a great in-depth under- and understanding of the Australian philanthropic sector after working for many years in the JB Ware Philanthropic Services Division. Now, with she is now with Share Gift Australia, and this is focusing on the people who, shareholders who have may, may hold some very, very small holdings. Uh, Bianca, now, um, what is Share Gift Australia? Hi, Barry. So Share Gift Australia, we're a not-for-profit organisation and we basically make it very easy and cost-effective for people to be able to donate their shares to charity. So basically that's all it is? 
That's right. So we started in 2007. We have partnerships with four brokers. So they transact those share sale, pro share sale transactions free of charge and the donor is also able to claim a tax deduction on their donation. So we, we try and make it as easy as possible for shareholders to be able to donate their shares for the benefit of charity. And of course now with shareholders uh, <clears throat> getting their dividends and so forth, and some of them uh, sometimes think that when they've sold their total shareholdings, but they forget about the dividend reinvestment program. Of course there is a period of time when they announce a dividend, etc., 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 and sure. the dividend comes up, and all of a sudden... They get in the mail a small or a holding statement with 12 shares, probably worth 60 or $70, and they look at it and think, oh, dear, oh, dear. So what do they do with this? That's right. Well, so this happens very, very frequently, Barry, and donors, all they need to do is complete a one-page donation form if they're holding mm -hmm. and then send that through to us and we'll take care of the rest. So it's a, it's a very straightforward process. We just validate the holding for them and then we send the details to one of our supporting brokers and then providing a buyer can be found, the shares are sold and the proceeds go to charity. Fantastic. Now, let's say I am guilty of this um, uh, and it's, it's, it's possible for me to recommend, say I've got a $30, $50 worth of shares, is it possible yeah. for me to recommend when I do contact you and we'll look at that later, uh, could I recommend the charity that I'd like the money to go to if possible? You certainly can. So if the value of the sale is over $50, there's a little box on our donation <coughs> form where the individual can recommend their favourite charity. Oh, so cool. those nominations come to the Board of Share Gift Australia and every quarter we make distributions to charities that are guided by those nominations. <coughs> So it's a really wonderful way to be able to respond to the interests of shareholders. It is. And we mm. find that many shareholders, you know, can be very passionate about a particular cause or charity that they support or believe in, and this is a really wonderful way to be able to support their charity in addition to, you know, just donating cash or volunteering their time. So mm. we're really trying to... You know, to, to get the message out there that share gift and donating shares is another wonderful way that you can support charity. Mm, that is very much so. And do charities seek donations from Share Gift Australia or, or not? Or, and, and another thing, how many charities do you have on your books and can you tell us some of them? I, I sure can. So we've now donated to 349 Australian charities. And that's a really wonderful range from the large organisations that most people would be familiar with. So, you know, your Salvation Army, World Vision, RSPCA, Royal Flying Doctor Service, to very small local community organisations as well. So it's a fantastic range of charities and we work with those charities to be able to help them promote share gift and share donation to their supporters. So it's really another fundraising stream for them. So it's, it's another avenue of, of how we work with the charity sector, which is wonderful. That's great. Now, I also know that uh, as we were speaking uh, beforehand, that uh, after your last talk with us, which I think was in about uh, mid-April, uh, you got right. a number of small shareholders from the Hunter Valley contacting you. We did. It was wonderful. So it's, it's really great to be back on your show. And it's, it's fantastic because we find that we've got such a diverse range of donors who give, 
who give their shares to, to share gift. So it might be, as you mentioned before, a very small parcel of shares that are really just a nuisance and you want to be able to divest of them to donors that give larger parcel of, parcels of shares because they want to be able to support their favourite charity or cause. So it's a very diverse range of, of motivations behind people giving and that's, you know, that's the beauty of share gift. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Oh, gee, yeah, it is most very interesting. Sounds fantastic. Now, must all donations be in the form of shares? We'll make this the last question and then we'll go for a little break. So must all donations be in the form of shares? Not necessarily. So obviously when we're, we're working with individuals, our core model is share donation, but you can certainly donate cash and, and follow the same process. So it's, if it's over $50, you can recommend a charity and it goes into our pool of funds and then every quarter the board makes donations to those charities that have been recommended. So it can be either. This is Thursday Finance, thanks to our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners, and we're looking at ShareGift Australia, Barry Preston. With Bianca Moore, we certainly are. Now, donating our small holdings to ShareGift Australia. Now, do listed companies uh, use this facility also to donate small parcels of shares, possibly from share buybacks or lost contact with shareholders? We do, Barry. So we've, we've been included in a number of corporate actions. So, for example, a few years ago, AMP held a, a small shareholder sale facility and we were included as an option there for shareholders to be able to donate their shares. So it's one of the ways that we work with public companies and certainly that list is growing over the years, which is fantastic. It certainly is. Great. Fantastic to hear that. But I know this next question is not an incentive, but are tax deductions available? Should one make a gift? Uh, and if so, how, do they, how does this work? Absolutely. So because ShareGift Australia, we're, we're a registered charity and we've got deductible gift recipient status. So it means that if any donation is over $2 in value, the shareholder is able to claim a tax, tax deduction. And the fantastic aspect of using our model is that because the donor doesn't pay brokerage on the transaction, they can actually claim a tax deduction for the full value of those proceeds. That's great. Look, we're getting close to running out of time, so what we might do is jump some of these general questions we've got here. But this one, of course, we did say we'd uh, let everyone know. Now, first of all, I have a computer. How do I contact ShareGift Australia? So you're very welcome to call us on the telephone. Our number is 1300 731 632. Or you can email us. Our generic email address is info at sharegiftaustralia.org.au. What if I don't have a computer, so I would use the phone? Absolutely. If you call us, we can always print out a donation form and send that to you in the post. So we're here. We're very happy to help you. And how would how would Share Gift Australia make a donation? Say to the guide dogs, just off the record. Sure. So if a recommendation came in from a shareholder for the guide dogs, that would be passed on to the board and then at the end of the quarter, the board would look at all of those recommendations, including the guide dogs, and make distributions to charity. So the way that we choose charities is all based on those recommendations that come in from shareholders. Okay, the number again is 1300 731 632 and email contact is? Info at sharegiftaustralia.org.au Bianca, thank you very much and we hope you get uh, quite a few people from the Hunter Valley who wish to uh, donate their small shares. Thank you very much. 
Thanks, Barry. Thanks for having me. It's Bianca Moore from ShareGift Australia on Thursday, Finance on 2 and URFM. We're getting close to the end of our program, Barry Preston. Now, I don't have enough time to do the one that I was going to do, but uh, I know we've always run out of time. But what we're looking at, and I've had a few questions on this, how do companies raise funds? Well, they've got a share purchase plan. They could have a renounceable rights issue, a non-renounceable rights issue, or just a share issue to sophisticated uh, investors. Now, there's a lot of in, lot of information in that. Some of them are uh, beneficial to small shareholders and some are not beneficial to small shareholders. So I'm hoping next week we can do this in depth because it's, uh, it's a question we get a, a lot of uh, a question. People ask this question quite a lot. And unless you know a little bit about it, it can be a little bit daunting sometimes when you receive these things in the mail. You think, what am I going to do? What does it do to my current shares and how much is it going to cost me and why are other people getting more shares than me? And that's pretty well finance for today, this Thursday. Thank you, Barry Preston. Thank you very much, Jane. Keep safe, everybody. See you next week. And next week we'll be after the midday news on 2NURFM for Thursday Finance.